Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Spring is almost here, which means it's time for another Kazoo Fest. The seventh annual festival will transform downtown Guelph into a hotbed of music and art for five action-packed days. From April 9th to 13th, the festival will showcase over 30 musical performances, visual art, multimedia art installations, the Kazoo Print Expo, film screenings, and more. Headlining artists this year include Destroyer, Hooded Fang, Cousins, Bry Webb, Vag Halen, Nihilus Spasm Band, Solids, Biblical, and much more. For more information about the 2014 Kazoo Fest, visit kazookazoo.ca or follow them on Twitter at Kazoo Guelph. Creative Control with Vish It can be rather difficult to tastefully commemorate the anniversary of a tragedy, um, particularly when you work in the media. And I, I'm, I sometimes have been in situations where I feel conflicted about writing a piece about something that means something to me, um, because you know ultimately it's it's just meant for someone to click on and look at, and you know you kind of are drawing attention to yourself um, as as much as you are. Uh, a figure or a, a situation that means something to you. So I was a bit conflicted about what to do as we came upon the 20th anniversary of the death of Kurt Cobain. Uh, this is someone whose work and music uh, meant a lot to me. It touched me as a teenager, you know, like it, it was a formative time for me. Uh, his his impact on me continues. I, I still love his band and I still love the work he did. So I wasn't sure if I was going to do anything, particularly in the realm of this podcast. In fact, if I didn't have this show, I probably would have done nothing. But I had the opportunity to speak to someone else who cares a lot about Kurt Cobain, uh, Charles R. Cross. He's a noted music writer and author uh, based in Seattle, Washington. Uh, followed the band from essentially their inception. He has a long history uh, with the band. Uh, he wasn't, by his own acknowledgement, he wasn't like great friends with them, but as someone in the media, he was covering them, and I think they appreciated uh, his support. Um, and he's written extensively about Kurt and Nirvana already. Uh, he's written, I think, the most definitive biography of Kurt, Heavier Than Heaven, um, which uh, I'm a big fan of. And, and he has actually written a new book. It's called uh, Here We Are Now, 
the lasting impact of Kurt Cobain. And uh, it's out, uh, as I say, essentially in time, just ahead of the 20th anniversary of Kurt's death. But I think it's an important book, and I wanted to speak with Charles. So here it is. Here's myself and Charles R. Cross having a conversation about his new book and uh, and the lasting impact of Kurt Cobain. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. On Thursday, April 3rd, the E-Bar welcomes the Peter Elkis Band and Harlan Pepper to Guelph. Elkis is celebrating the 10th anniversary of his solo debut, Party of One, available on vinyl for the first time and only at live shows. Harlan Pepper just released their acclaimed new album, Take Out a 20 and Live Life to the Fullest, available now via Six Shooter Records. This all-ages licensed show begins at 9 p.m. And if you bring a non-perishable donation for the Guelph Food Bank, you'll save $2 off your admission. Peter Elkis Band and Harlan Pepper at the E-Bar, located at 41 Quebec Street on Thursday, April 3rd. For more info, visit vishkana.com. The E-Bar is not a fully accessible venue. Charles Cross is a Seattle-based music writer and author who has written nine books, including the award-winning and definitive Heavier Than Heaven, the biography of Kurt Cobain. He was the editor-in-chief of the Seattle music magazine The Rocket, covering the early rise of local bands like Nirvana, and he's regarded both as an esteemed expert and reliable first-hand witness to the arts and culture cultivated within the Pacific Northwest almost 25 years ago. His latest book is Here We Are Now, The Lasting Impact of Kurt Cobain, which is an intriguing chronicle of the myriad ways in which Cobain's life and death affected various strains of culture, everything from hip-hop music and high fashion to tourism in Aberdeen, Washington, and a a more serious medical assessment of addictive personalities, suicide prevention, and the moral gridlock that stymies the so-called war on drugs. Here now to discuss this book further is author Charles Cross. Hi, Charles. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, where in the world are you, Charles? I'm on my way driving to Aberdeen, Washington right now. So, uh, you know, Aberdeen doesn't even have a bookstore. This kind of gives you an idea of the town that Kurt grew up in. Um, but I always try uh, on this book and in my 2001 book, Heavier Than Heaven, that book, uh, for both this book and that book, I decided to do the very first public appearance and reading in Aberdeen because that just seems appropriate. So I am going to be speaking at the Aberdeen Library because that's the closest thing to a bookstore that you can find in Aberdeen. And, and there's some irony in that or, or some serendipity in the fact that uh, Kurt Cobain spent many hours as a teenager in that library. Uh, you know, there was a period of about two years in Kurt's life where he drifted from house to house and he was homeless, so to speak. He wasn't exactly homeless, but he spent a lot of hours in the library. Right, right, yeah. And so you, that, that is, it's ironic, but it's also, it's, it's interesting for you to be immersed in that 
place as opposed to, I mean, I guess you don't have any other options. I don't know where else you would go in Aberdeen to do such a thing. Well, there are not a lot of authors that go to Aberdeen anyways, and uh, it is a little interesting. They actually asked me to come last month for what they had declared for the very first Kurt Cobain Day, but somehow the mayor of Aberdeen must have found out that my book was somewhat critical of the fact that the town hasn't done a lot to honor him. And I was uninvited from Aberdeen Kurt Cobain Day at the very last minute. Oh, no. So, to some degree, that actually feels more like an honor because their, their attempt to honor Kurt ended up just being ridiculous, where they sang happy birthday to him and they unveiled a statue that shows Kurt crying. It, it, Aberdeen and Kurt, it's been a very screwed up relationship all these years yeah. and continues to be so. So what, what exactly prompts you now to go back uh, today? Why are you there? Well, that's Aberdeen's public officials, who frankly are idiots, but, um, and they have done nothing to officially honor Kurt. Part of it is the hysteria that they think because Kurt, for a brief period of his life, did drugs. If they actually rename a street, Kurt Cobain Street, that more kids in Aberdeen will want to do drugs, which is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. Um, but the reason I go back is that there are many great people in Aberdeen. There are many people who grew up in New Kurt. There are several people who essentially served as foster families for Kurt that were a huge influence on his life and on his music. And uh, those people really matter to me, and it's worth driving there to way honor them and recognize what they did to contribute to this man and in some ways to our culture. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's also ironic that given the book that you've just written about uh, the impact of Kurt... Uh, and, and sort of the positive aspects that come from the negativity. It's kind of interesting that they're trying to, that the public officials are trying to curb your involvement. I mean, that, that's a big part of your book, is trying to shine some positive light on this tragic story. Absolutely. And the irony is, of course, with deadlines of books, my book went to print almost nine months ago, and then here you had all the stuff come up in the last month that it, 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 as if it's right out of the pages of my book. You know, Aberdeen can't figure out, at least the officials, cannot figure out how to honor the most famous person that was ever born there and ever will be born there in all likelihood. Yeah. And uh, they've done nothing. There are two little tiny things in Aberdeen that acknowledge Kurt. One is the sign when you drive into Aberdeen that says, come as you are. But even that was paid for by fans, not by the city of Aberdeen. And there is a park now called the Kurt Cobain Riverfront Park. But even that park was, again, not created by any city or official government funds. A crazy old coot of a guy who wasn't even a Nirvana fan, but he felt that Aberdeen had done nothing to honor Kurt. He went and got a backhoe and plowed this area of the city uh, near where Kurt lived with the backhoe and created a park himself. And the city eventually took over the maintenance, but beyond running a lawnmower occasionally, the city of Aberdeen has done nothing to honor Kurt. Yeah, it's it's odd to me that a senior citizen who related to Kurt, like he related to Kurt's broken home and, and upbringing, but a senior that that a senior citizen is the one to call people to action is very interesting. It's another pretty interesting example of Kurt's impact on people. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean. Kurt's story resonates with people not just for the music. There are parts of his life and parts of 
um, you know, the, the tragedy at times of his life that also touch many other people. And that's a big part of who he is and his memory and his legacy. Yeah. And, uh... Oh, hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you, I thought you faded. You know, what happened is you got off the freeway, I think, and now everything's serene. It's and it, now a little quieter, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> threw me off. Okay, good. No, it's nice to yeah. it's nice to have you uh, outside of the, the fog of the freeway. Now... This, Sorry, yeah. This, no, no, it's fine. The book begins with this interesting cultural collision involving yourself, Larry King, and Kurt Cobain. Can you talk a little bit about what happened there and how it inspired this book? Well, it's a very minor thing, but basically the day that Kurt died was one of the craziest days of my life. And I was editor of this magazine, The Rocket, and with The Rocket, we had covered and chronicled Nirvana before anyone else, and first magazine to ever put them on the cover and, uh, you know, uh, Kurt died and the media were looking for a story to cover and they repeatedly called our office. And there was one point where I answer a phone call and it's Larry King. Um, and he wants to know why Kurt mattered. Mm. And, you know, I'm on the air with Larry King. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to explain to him why Kurt mattered, and and that's that's the setting that this book starts in. Right now, as a fan of Nirvana, I've I've never really thought of Kurt as a polarizing figure. Um, this is probably me looking at him from complete like I'm just a fan of his work. Uh, I have I had sympathy and empathy for him as a, a teenager, and you know, I not to put too fine a point on it, but he was a figure that I think changed my life in a lot of ways and but uh, but his life and death really did draw moral lines between people we've discussed a little bit th about this already uh, in terms of how his hometown can't seem to reconcile um, the negative aspects of his life from the positive uh, but from your own perspective is is that about right is that where the division about Kurt comes from this this uh, you know he made great art but he was this tragic potentially bad influence on people well, there, there are many divisive aspects of Kurt, his music being one of them. Not everybody likes loud guitar rock. Um, remember, Nirvana began in an era where what dominated radio was soft metal bands who did ballads. It was Warrant and Bon Jovi and a bunch of crap. And, um, you know, that, that was the uh, thing that just kept, you know, music the way it was. And... Uh, it was bad news. So, you know, people didn't like him even at that point. And, uh, you know, then he dies and, you know, ends up being associated in many people's minds with drug addiction. So it, life became very complicated the way people thought of Kurt. And, you know, Mary's Courtney Love, this may not be the choice that a mate that, you know, Vogue magazine would select for most people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what was your overall impression of Kurt? after finishing your final draft of, of Heavier Than Heaven? Well, that's a delicate question to ask. I mean, there's a, somebody once said of biography that you begin every biography in love with your subject, and by the time you're done, you hate them because you find out every little wart and peccadillo about someone. Uh, in my instance, it was, it was, that was not exactly the, the case. Um, I, I loved Nirvana's music, and finishing the book, I, I still loved it. Um, but 
but there certainly were many aspects of Kurt's personality and many choices that he made that, frankly, I find were reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his drug addiction, of course, being the, the number one um, thing, but then in addition to that, his, uh, um, you know, his choice to kill himself with a young child. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That is something that as a biographer and as a parent myself, it's, it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Yet knowing his life and reading his diaries, I have more sympathy for the struggles that Kurt had. I mean, this is a question I'll be asked in Aberdeen, you know, to some degree. Did fame make him die? If he lived in Aberdeen, would he have, would he have lived longer if he hadn't have been famous? And there were so many factors at work in Kurt, for Kurt, from depression to... Um, you know, uh, genetic predisposition to suicide because there was suicide in his family. Um, all these things definitely affected what ended up happening on April 5th, 1994. And fame was only one small aspect of that. So in terms of, you know, do I end up liking him at the end of the book? Uh, in some ways, yes, I, I really admire the art that he created. There is something heroic to Kurt's story, no matter how dark it is and no matter how horrible, and some people might even call his suicidal choice cowardly. Um, I have heard people call him that. I have had people question me that and and call it that. When I look at it, I kind of don't look at it with that moralism, as you mentioned earlier. I look at it and say, here is somebody that despite all the odds stacked against him, he got up off his sofa and he created art. Most people in the world are sitting on that sofa watching DVDs or playing video games, and they're not creating art with their pain. Kurt did that, and to me, that is something to admire, whether you like his music or not. Yeah, and and one of the things you've done in in both books is kind of go into the material conditions of his life, which, you know, he was immersed in suicide in some ways. His family life, uh, like his, you know, past generations, uh, members had committed suicide, and one of the things that I I don't believe I've read before, at least if I had it, never resonated with me. In your new book, you just you talk about how he witnessed, he actually witnessed a hanging. He actually witnessed a, a suicide, uh, the end result of a suicide, I suppose. He did, yeah. I do tell that story in Heavier Than Heaven. Okay. And, and what's interesting is that, uh, you know, I mean, I get so much mail from fans and things. There there have been a couple letters that I've gotten over the years where people wanted said why why did you put such a horrible thing in your book? Well, as a biographer, you don't make moral judgments. You just say what happened. But 
I honestly feel myself, and, and as a biographer, you also can't emphasize one event more than another. You have to tell the story of someone's life, and each thing is to some degree important. Mm -hmm. But I feel myself that that single event, witnessing someone who had died, probably had more effect on Kurt's darkness and on his ultimate suicidology himself than any other thing that happened in his life. Um, we do know from statistics that sociologists and psychologists have done that that if there's suicide in your community, it breaks a moral taboo. So if you're in a community where there are other suicides, it makes you so much more likely yourself to commit suicide because suicide is one of the greatest human taboos, kind of like incest to some degree. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a community where those lines are broken, um, it, it greatly increased your risk for suicide. So I think that that plays a huge role in Kurt's life before he ever picked a guitar up. Yeah, like suicide seemed to have been normalized for him, and, and your argument, and you know, it's impossible to tell, but your argument is that as much as he was burdened by fame, that period of his life probably prolonged it. To some degree, that's one of my theories. Of course, nobody ever knows. When we talk about Kurt's life or death, we're really talking about armchair quarterbacking. Yeah. What if? What if this? And, and you know, he didn't survive. He, he died at 27. Um, but, but to some degree, there are a number of people that Kurt grew up in with Aberdeen that also died of suicide. Uh, you know, sort of very sadly, even in the last couple of years, a couple of the people that Kurt knew in that world that I interviewed for the book have died from suicide. Mm -hmm. So they, they didn't get famous. And it's not because of their association with Kurt Cobain. It's because of many of these other things that are prevalent in that socioeconomic world. And um, maybe, again, as I said, the moral taboo of knowing people that had committed suicide, you know, maybe that made them more likely. There's no real way for us to tell why someone takes their own life because they're not left to tell us. Um, no, and, and I, and I want to ask you about this as well, because I, I think that, you know, there's all sorts of horrible uh, conspiracy theories about Kurt's death and, and things like that. And, well, I asked you earlier what your impression was of Kurt after you finished Heavier Than Heaven. And I want to ask you how that sensation of finishing that book compared to how you might have felt after finishing this book. But I also, I, and maybe you've spoken to this already, but I'm also just curious how you think that these kinds of exercises as a writer are are helpful or, or informative of a person uh, about a person that we've lost you know like what what insights are you providing when you when you when you write a text like this well when you finish any book you're just exhausted um and uh, you know it, it 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 i've written nine books now and everyone has taken a lot out of me um Heavier Than Heaven was particularly difficult because of the access to Kurt's diaries. You know, holding his suicide note in my hand is probably the single weirdest thing. I don't know if weirdest, saddest thing. It, 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 it's something as a journalist I will remember forever. Um, so there was a lot that that book was hard about that book that was hard emotionally. Um, this you know, most recent book, Here We Are Now, was certainly an easier book to write emotionally, but in some other degree, it, it when you're writing the story of a, 
of a person's life as a third-person biography. You're just looking for the facts to fill in. In this, I had to provide analysis, and I chose to do it in first person. And to some degree, that is actually harder to write because you're putting your voice forward. You're not counting on facts or statistics or other things to kind of tell the story. Mm-hmm. So there were, there were challenges with both. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, I'm happy with the result of this book. Uh, I, I do feel somewhat exhausted with Kurt's story because it is difficult at times to talk about it. Um, with the 20th anniversary of his death, um, you know, here's one thing that just shows you how much the media still doesn't get it. Um, you know, I, I get tons of people contacting me because I was, I was able to get almost everybody close to Kurt to speak to me at some point for my book. Mm-hmm. So I'll get dozens of emails every day from all kinds of major news organizations who are like, can't we get Kurt's old girlfriend or Chris Novoselic or Kurt's dad? Don't they want to come on NPR or XYZ and talk to us? And it's the 20th anniversary of his death. We'll give it lots of play. And, you know, that, that, that shows to some degree that sense that the media still does not understand that this is a personal tragedy. For many of these people, um, you know, this is the loss of a son, a husband, a father, a close friend, an ex-boyfriend. And it's a horrible, tragic loss. And it's not something that's easily explained or understood or kind of willed away. And, um, you know, it's also sad for me. I, I, I don't present myself ever that I was the best friends with Kurt, but I knew him. You know, he he had been uh, part of the story of, of my life. Um, and losing him truly was a great tragedy. Um, you know, and it was a great tragedy for Seattle music, certainly the saddest day that there will probably ever be in Seattle music history. Yeah. But in the end, I kind of come away with it and still admire the work, and the music still means something to me. So um, that's why I, I did this, and um, I'm not sure what else I could ever say about Kurt, because now my personal story is inserted into this new book. Yeah, so yeah. this may be the last time I ever write about him, but I feel like I kind of said it all. You you said something interesting there about holding Kurt's suicide note, having the access that you have. Um, and I know that uh, my understanding is this is born of a relationship you have with Courtney Love, with, with uh, people close to Kurt. And I'm curious, given how difficult their relationship with the press was when they were a couple and, and the family, the, the kind of scrutiny the family has probably, I assume, been under over the last uh, 20 years. How do you, how, from your perception, how have you struck this relationship with them? Well, that would be a long answer, but uh, the, the, the short answer is trust. Uh, since I was a journalist who covered this story before Kurt was famous and everyone knew me, I wasn't somebody who drove in from out of town. Uh, I'm in Aberdeen, you know, here where I know Aberdeen. I'd been to Aberdeen before. I knew people here. Um, I've seen other journalists write of Aberdeen as if it were part of Seattle or a suburb. And it's a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I was somebody that people trusted. And, um, but it was not easy to get everyone to talk. There were one or two people that I do not exaggerate. There was one person in the book that I called a hundred times. And the first hundred times I called, and this happens to be somebody who had some involvement in drugs, 
but was really essential to getting some parts of the story. But I called this person a hundred times and the first hundred times they never called me back. They never, I just kept at it. The hundred and first time they picked up the phone and were ready to talk. Um, I'm not sure I would be that tenacious again now at this mm-hmm. point in my life, but I was with this story and it had benefits. Right. So, so it's a it's a trust thing. I mean, I also understand uh, there's long been the, the rumor that's been going around is that there might be a heavier than heaven film that it's been optioned. Do you have any uh, updates on that? Is is it in process in in progress now? I don't. I wish I had something definitive to say. I mean, one day it'll happen, but there's nothing uh, on the horizon right now. With with, that I can announce. Okay, I was just curious. <laughs> well, uh, Charles, it's an honor to speak with you. I want to let people know that Charles Cross's insightful new book is Here We Are Now, The Lasting Impact of Kurt Cobain. It's out now via It, an imprint of HarperCollins Books. You can get more information about it at youritlist.com. And you can follow Charles on Twitter, at Charles R. Cross. Uh, Charles, if we were able to go to a, a Nirvana song right now, uh, would you could you possibly select one for us? I would go for Sliver, which I think is one of the greatest songs they ever did, which, you know, kind of, you know, here I am sitting outside Montesano right now. It's a song about his grandmother's house. So it's, uh, uh, this is part of his life. Well, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for the time. While we're down to shoot, jump me up and grab the jewels. We can scream so please don't go. Now I'll take you home. 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 Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. 
A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.